0: Oh, you know the golden stallion giveth, but he never taketh away because only an asshole does that. Woo, boy, who said that they does that, that they do that? Oh the Lord, oh shit, uh, <laughs> oh man, uh, wow, so I told you that there would be another little episode coming out, and uh, this one, of course, is once again, just as yesterday 's uh, q and a was recorded from the dungeon. Um, until we get the second studio set up, that's just kind of how it's going to be. So you're going to have to hear me from the Yeti, the classic blue Yeti microphone, which is just, you know, I know some people talk about the Yeti microphone and say, well, the sound quality isn't that good. And I understand that, you know, it might not be as, as good as, you know, hooking up to an RE20 or something, but it's so utilitarian and it's so sturdy and solid like, you know, you could throw it at anything and it's and it still just keeps on ticking. Not, not, I don't know why you'd throw a microphone, uh, but <laughs> though I think sometimes when people are listening to sovereign tech, <laughs> they think I'm tossing the microphone across the room or something. I get so heated up sometimes, but hey, it's good to be passionate about things anyway. Um, yeah, the Eddie's just so solid, I love using it. Um, but uh, let's uh, you know, what I've got here, the uh, this. Today for this uh, you know little extra content uh, is a top eight. Now, why a top eight? Is it because of my love of the uh, you know base twelve math? Uh, you know, <laughs> no. Uh, is it because I just want to like since top fives and top tens are completely arbitrary numbers uh, that I picked my own arbitrary number just to differentiate myself? Yes, that is exactly why I do top eights. Though I'm gonna admit, I'm gonna cheat a little here because there's going to be a, what I'm going to talk about here, there's going to be a couple ones that don't exactly fit in with what I want to do a top eight about, but they're close enough. They kind of sit in a gray area that I'm going to bring them up here. So what I happened was, is that I actually got from a, from a patron, which of course, as always, thank you so much uh, to all the Sovereign Tech patrons. It means the world to me that you donate. Uh, like I said, we get new ones. We get new uh, donors, new, new patrons every single week. Uh, and it is just, it is wonderful uh, you know. And, and, and like I said, a lot of people are also upping their donation amount Thank you, uh, that means the world to me uh, And I hope you find value in this If you don't find, find value in it, please don't hesitate to also let me know that because then I can know what you're looking for, and you know that that helps out the show it helps out me, and in the end, maybe if it's something I can achieve, it'll help out you uh so it means the world to me for that. Uh, I do want to say that if you didn't hear it yesterday, uh again, I am looking into ways to get this podcast or you know to get this content, the subscriber content uh to people to where. They can they can use it. They can listen to it at two x speed. You know, like you listen to a lot of podcasts. I know I listen to podcasts at a, at about two x speed myself. Um, you know, right now, really the only viable way to do that is to uh, you know use VLC VLC media player on either a desktop, laptop, or on your on your mobile device, which they do have it for mobile. And on that, you can alter the playback speed. So you'd have to download it, you know, from the website, you know, from from the Patreon website, and then you could play it into VLC and whatever system you've got. Uh, that's about the most, the most efficient way of doing it. But I agree. I don't, I wish, I actually, I've emailed Patreon asking them, could you please, like in your player, on your site, because they're going big on, on the fact that they have audio, they're going to be releasing their own, uh, their own RSS feed as well uh, in the near future, would you please... Uh, you, you know, make it possible in your player to speed things up, kind of like YouTube does, right? So I haven't heard back from them, but I, I've I've gotten in touch with them about that. That would make it very easy, you know, to do it that way. Uh, but anyway, we'll see what happens uh, as far as that. So let's get into, let's talk about it, because I don't want to make this too long, but let's talk about what exactly is this top eight special about, this top eight, uh, you know, little subscriber, Patreon-only content. Uh, it is about movies, my top eight movies. Now, there's a caveat because the person, the patron that asked me about this, uh, great guy, said, but, you know, not science fiction movies, just movies. And, you know, so, so it's not exactly like my top eight favorite movies of all time because I'm taking out all of like, you know, more of the fantasy and science fiction ones. And, you know, it's what's, what's amazing when I sat down to think about it. This was tough. (laughs) Usually I can rattle off like, you know, my top eight of anything in in very short order. This was really, really tough, um, you know, to think of because honestly, like my, by and large, my entire top eight is, is full of films, you know, that, that are, you know, genre films, they're all science fiction or, you know, fantasy or whatever. Uh, So, so to keep it within movies that, that don't fall into that, boy, that was hard to do, <laughs> it, it really was, and even, even, you know, at least one or two of these have, like, little elements of the, of the fantastique, uh, I'll, I'll admit to that, uh, and also, some of these are, you know, they're more historical films, so I didn't think those were out of the question, you know, to do historical films, um, but yeah, it was, it, this was, this was a tough, tough list to, to do, you know, to really, like, sit down and think about, um, But, uh, yeah, you know, I was like, okay, well, this is fun. You know, let's, let's go ahead. Let's, let's rock this out. Uh, now they're not in any particular order, although number one, I will say has at various points been my number one movie, uh, because it is just that fucking good. Um, and I will, I will save that for later. Now I don't put a list because I want to, I want to keep it a surprise. I don't put a list in the show notes, uh, of the top eight films because, you know, I want you to listen to it. And, you know, if you had the list, maybe you wouldn't actually listen to it, you know, because there's, I I like to think I have very good reasons for whatever ones I consider to be the best, uh, you know, to be in here. Um, So anyway, let's start this off with number eight. Like I said, other than number one, there really isn't it's not really like a, like in any kind of order. And I am going to toss in outside of this. So there's going to be a couple more outside of the top eight that I'm going to mention that I wouldn't really put in a science fiction list, but they don't necessarily fit in a more of a real world or historical list either. Uh, so, uh, but I'll, I'll mention those, uh, you know, towards, towards the end here. Uh, let's start off with number eight. And, you know, this one... Yeah, I'll admit maybe it's a little, it might be a little bit of a cheat, but I, I mean, I can't picture calling this a fantasy film or calling it a science fiction film or a genre film really in, in any way. I mean, maybe somebody might want to call this a horror movie. I'm not that into horror films. Like, I mean, there's some horror horror series that I really enjoy. I like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. Uh, I I Oh, man, I really enjoy the Hellraiser movies. Uh, You you know, there's some series that I enjoy, but, you know, I I don't really go out of my way to go watch horror films at all. They're not really my bag. Um, But I don't think that this really falls into uh, the horror genre either, even though I I guess that's a matter of taste, uh, you know, or, you know, that's a matter of, uh, uh, you know, personal opinion on on whether or not this does. Uh, But let's talk about it. It's The Devil's Advocate. This is the 1997 film, uh, of course, you know, starring Keanu Reeves. This is before he did The Matrix, just before he did The Matrix, because uh, The Matrix, you know, came out in 98, 99, all that. Uh, and, of course, Al Pacino was in this and is one of uh, Charlize Theron's early roles before she really made it big. Uh, but just a... Dynamite, dynamite movie, uh, directed by Taylor Hackford, who did you know, who's done other great work. Uh, now, the movie itself is based off of a novel by Andrew Niederman. Andrew Niederman's other novels, honestly, they they all kind of follow the same formula <laughs> as, as The Devil's Advocate, where it's like this, you know, it's a lawyer, it's you know, it's a legal novel, you know, it's kind of a John Grisham style novel. And, uh, you know, usually there's some degree of the supernatural, you know, some kind of supernatural thriller aspect to it, which maybe that's the best best uh, genre to, to classify The Devil's Advocate in, is that it is a thriller, uh, and it does have a degree of the supernatural in it. Of course, because Al Pacino is playing none other than Satan himself. Uh, all of these movies, boy, if you haven't seen any of them yet... Uh, I, c- come on. Most of them, it's been 10, 20 years. There's no excuse. Uh, so, or there's no reason I should hold back on talking about them. Uh, this movie now, you know, also I will mention, I, I've been excited for this. I don't know what the, what the, at what stage the production is, but I think Spike TV was going to make a mini series or even a TV series out of The Devil's Advocate. I would totally be on board for that to, to make, I I wouldn't be on board for a remake of The Devil's Advocate, but I would absolutely be on board with having a longer story. Um, In fact, you know, just just bring it... So, okay, let me me get just quick on the plot. The plot is is that you have Kevin Lomax, who is played by Keanu Reeves. He is a Florida... uh, uh, Not a... Well, not a prosecutor, but he's a Florida defense lawyer, and he... He was a prosecutor, never lost a case. Also as a, you know, as a lawyer, as a defense, defense lawyer, he never lost a case there either. Um, he is, you know, he's really, really good at what he does. And then one day he gets a job offer to go to New York to, uh, to, to go, you know, work for some firm uh, in, in New York City, Milton Chadwick and Waters, I believe is the name of it. And come to find out it's all a test. And the whole point for him to do this is for him to, you know, bring on the Antichrist. His dad is Satan himself, who's the head of the firm there, John Milton. Of course, the name John Milton is a reference to Paradise Lost by John Milton, uh, you know, which is all about Satan and, you know, better to reign in hell than to rule and, or than to serve in heaven, right? Um, and and Charlie's there and is kind of his half-sister and they're supposed to have sex and you know, and, and and give birth to the Antichrist. That's, the whole thing's a set up for that. And Charlize Theron, who plays Kevin Lomax's wife, you know, a lot of the plot is around her getting messed up by these various demonic forces and all of this. Uh, so that that's the plot. Anyway, uh, when the DVD came out, this is one of the first DVDs I ever got my hands on. There was, I'll, you know, just saying how much I wanted extra story, and this kind of pissed me off. There were deleted scenes on the DVD. But there was director's commentary by Taylor Hackford over the deleted scenes on the film. And you couldn't get rid of the of the, the content because I was going to hook it up to my iMac at the time I had an iMac. I was going to hook it up to my iMac and I was going to, you know, you know I was going to, to edit the film. And I was going to put all these, you know, put these extended scenes in the right place. And I was going to, you know, have it go up and go out there uh, you know, not, not on torrents or whatever, but just have it available, you know, to share it to other people, maybe burn them DVDs or, or, you know, uh, whatever I, I was going to, I actually, at the time I was big on turning things into divics. So I would, I could put it onto a CD, you know, I had the 700 megabyte limit, uh, you know, and I could share it with people or whatever, but I thought that would have been really cool. But that's how much I love this movie. You have to understand there, there are some movies. I had this theory, and I think I talked about this on sex and science hour at one point, that if I fell asleep, and please, I was a teenager, okay, B- bear with me. <laughs> if I fell asleep to a film, that maybe I could integrate a lot of what the film was saying. And so when I first saw this movie, I was really on my way of coming out of being a Christian as a teenager. Of course, I was originally raised Jewish. And, uh, and then, then you know, my parents converted to Christianity. Uh, and then when I, when I got about 17, 16, 17 or so, I started saying, fuck this. I'm an atheist. None of this shit makes sense. And that was one of the, I think that's one of the things that really spoke to me with the film The Devil's Advocate was a lot of these speeches, you know, uh, Al Pacino you know, as Satan, as John Milton slash Satan, gives a lot of these these really epic, sweeping you know screeds in the film to whatever character needs them, and like they're so right on. You know, I mean, granted, yeah, the, you know, it's rah rah Satan, but like a lot of it just just makes so much logical sense. And you and I myself, I never heard this stuff. Like, I never heard anything like it. It was so powerful. You know, I mean, I mean, the, all the. I, I could, you know, I'm half tempted to cut into this episode and play some of these great speeches that he gives because they're so
1: good. Who are you? Who am I? Who are you? Never lost a case. Why? Why do you think? Because you're so fucking good. Yeah. But why? To my father I'm a little more than that Kevin awfully hot in that courtroom wasn't it what's the game plan Kevin it was a nice run Kev had to close out someday nobody wins them all what are you oh I have so many names Let's see Call me Dad. Who are you carrying all those bricks for, anyway? God? Is that it? God? Well, I tell you. Let me give you a little inside information about God. God likes to watch. He's a prankster. Think about it. He gives man instincts. He gives you this extraordinary gift, and then what does he do? I swear, for his own amusement, his own private cosmic gag reel. He sets the rules in opposition. It's the goof of all time. Look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't taste. Taste. Don't swallow. And while you're jumping from one foot to the next, what is he doing? He's laughing his sick fucking ass off. He's a tight ass. He's a sadist. He's an absentee landlord. Worship that never. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven, is that it? Why not? I'm here on the ground with my nose in it since the whole thing began. I've nurtured every sensation man has been inspired to have. I cared about what he wanted, and I never judged him. Why? Because I never rejected him, in spite of all his imperfections. I'm a fan of man! I'm a humanist. Maybe the last humanist. Who, in their right mind, Kevin, could possibly deny the 20th century was entirely mine? All of it, Kevin! All of it! Mine! I'm peeking, Kevin. It's my time now. It's our time.
0: You know, look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't taste. Taste, but don't swallow. (laughs) And while you're jumping from one foot to the next, what's God doing? He's up there laughing his sick fucking ass off. He's a tight ass. He's a sadist. Worship that? Never. I mean, see, look, like I can quote the ship. I can quote that whole movie verbatim. I was just quoting it. You know, I had the whole thing, you know, he's an absentee landlord. I, I mean, oh, God, there's, oh, Satan. There's so many great quotes and lines in the movie. I even used to, I remember going to work at the time I was working at Wendy's to piss my parents off because they didn't want me working. But I remember going, you know, like I would, I would set the, you know, whatever a sink or the washing machine, you know, whatever the sink to, you know, to like as hot as it could be. That way the water was bubbling and smoking. And I would reenact the scene where John Milton, you know, Al Pacino slash Satan goes into the Catholic church and he touches the holy water and, and makes it boil. And I just like, you know, he does this little look and he looks up at Christ and everything. And I would pull that shit all the time at work. Like... This movie was quintessential to my path in so many ways. Uh, oh, man, what a film. There is no need to, like I say, there's no need to remake this movie. Uh, it is, the acting's great. And I really, I think Keanu Reeves did a great job. Obviously, Al Pacino did. Uh, Charlize Theron did phenomenal. Everybody involved did a great job. Uh, but I, I really think that Keanu Reeves did a good job. I totally believed in his, you know, Florida stud attitude. I think it, uh, it worked. Uh, you know, actually another thing too I mean, yeah, I can't begin to tell you how quintessential this film was to me And it's not the number one, but it, it would be close um, I actually, I lived in Ocala, Florida for a few years After I got out of the military um, And I I went to, even then, because when I went into the military I got very confused and I became a Christian again And believe me, that that lasted longer than it should have But Whatever I got out of it and you know I snapped out of it and said no Brian you're an atheist you know that but that's another story for another time anyway I uh, I was still so like I still thought this movie was so amazing I went to because in it the character uh, Kevin Lomax you know Keanu Reeves character is from uh, Gainesville Florida and I went to the church to the Baptist Church in Gainesville, because they actually filmed it in Gainesville. I went there, and, you know, I walked around the church a bit and everything just to, you know, kind of check it out. I mean, it's only in the movie for, you know, two minutes, if that. Uh, but I just, I wanted to see it. You know, I wanted to be able to touch, really, uh parts of this film. It, it's it's so, so good. Uh, I, I don't blame Andrew Niederman, you know, the author, for Trying to repeat success by having other books kind of follow the same line, and you can't exactly do a sequel to it. Uh, the book itself is pretty good. I, I thought his book was great, but it's nowhere near as good. Like without Al Pacino's delivery as Satan, oh man, yeah. <laughs> I, and, oh, and the scene, this the scene where where he uh, uh, Kevin Kevin's mother, you know Keanu Reeves' character, his mother is visiting. Uh, From Florida. And, and they're all coming back from dinner and everybody lives in this, you know, this, uh, this, this kind of partnership, uh, building apartment. Everybody has apartments that are all part of, you know, Milton Chadwick Waters. And there's a point where, where John Milton, where Al Pacino's character is coming home as well at the same time. And he has, you know, he has, he has two women with him. Uh, (laughs) which, uh, oh God, what was, uh, Connie Nielsen? Was it Connie Nielsen was one of them? And then whoever the woman was that was playing, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this Asian woman named Giselle. But Connie Nielsen, who will make a reappearance in this list uh, down the line, so there's a hint for some. Uh, but Connie Nielsen, g- gorgeous. She, <laughs> he's like, he's getting, it, you know, they're, they're getting into the elevator. So again, Kevin's with his wife and his mother. John Milton is with, you know, two women, you know, these two very sexy women. And they're, they're both going up the elevator and, uh, <laughs> and Kevin's off to, you know, go, go have, you know, get back into his apartment with his mother and his wife. And, and John Milton interrupts and say, Hey, Kevin, Kevin, you know, the, 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 the Moyeski, you know, you want it, you want to tell me about, or, you know, what's going on with this case, whatever. Uh, cause Craig T. Nelson's in it too. The guy from coach he does a great job. And that that's one of the central cases of the movie, um, and he, you know, he says he's like, you want to, you want to come upstairs and tell me about it, and, and he's, you know, Al Pacino saying it was such panache because behind him is Giselle and Connie Nielsen's character, uh, you know, like pretty much playing with each other and starting to kiss and everything, and, and, and Keanu Reeves is like, like right now, and you know he looks behind him, yeah, you know, and and goes like, uh, you know. No, that's all right. I, I need to get going. And John Milton says, you sure? And he kind of looks back at, at the elevator. And, there, you know, like I said, there's the two women, you know, pretty much making out, taking their clothes off already. Oh, man. I, lo- I just love that. You sure? <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Keanu Reeves, you know, uh, Charlize Theron, the character there. The wife gets mad at him and everything. And, oh, heavens. <laughs> that is such a good film. Very, I mean, hedonism all the way. It's beautiful. I, I love Uh, The Devil's Advocate, I could talk about it forever, Uh, and I could quote it, you know, forever, Uh, just a a fantastic uh, little movie, so, and and it doesn't get an, I don't think it gets enough credit, I don't know that it really won any awards, Um, I know the only thing I remember is people, a lot of people thought it was nuts, Uh, you know, they, they thought Keanu Reeves did kind of a rough job, I totally disagree with that assessment. Uh, and I think at the time too, in the '90s, you were really going through a phase of Al Pacino movies where he was known for giving these epic speeches, kind of like uh, Sen of a Woman*. Uh, when he was in Sen of a Woman*, which I I love that that's another great movie, not in my top eight, uh, but that is a that is a fantastic little little movie there. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, never mind. I, I, I won't I won't quote it. But uh, this whole place is out of order. <laughs> What the fuck. Uh anyway, yeah, Al Pacino's great. So, I uh, I know that people were getting a little tired of of, you know, the heavy-handed speeches perhaps from El Pacino in his movies in the 90s, but I think that really this was Devil's Advocate was him at his best. Uh it was definitely a high note uh, you know, for for the actor. Uh just just fantastic. So anyway, uh, let's get on to another movie Like I said, I try. I want to try and keep this short We're at 20 minutes already uh, So let's get into That might surprise um, Because of I guess maybe the nature of it So the movie is Bloodsport From 1988 Just the first one I kind of have a rule that like, there's a lot of movies that, are, that, are, that have a lot of sequels that I could have counted or, you know, that I generally don't like to count when I say something is my favorite movie or one of, one of the top films. Because usually when you have sequels, you, can't, you have to, you know, you have to consider the sequels as part of, you know, the overall whole. Um, like, you know, Star Trek The Motion Picture is my favorite movie of all time. But I don't say that generally because you sort of have to know Captain Kirk. You have to understand the rest of the, you know, the rest of the canon to, to understand what, what happens with it. Um, you know, The Matrix could be said to be my favorite movie. But I think, you know, to really grasp everything that's going on, you need a lot more of the canon. And I actually, I love The Matrix trilogy. I think it's wonderful. Uh, Revolutions is definitely the weak point, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, you know, it, it's still it's still a, a very good film. And Reloaded was great. Uh, and Anyway. So the movie for for you know Bloodsport here we're, we're at number seven uh, from 1988. This technically has sequels. It has like four of them, and I'm not not to say that they're like bad movies. Uh, in fact, they, but they didn't start. They didn't really have um, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme in them. Uh, and instead they had the guy, I don't, what was the name of the, was it Step by Step, was the show Step by Step with Suzanne Summers. Uh, it was kind of that Friday night. It was part of the TG, ABC's TGIF. Uh, the, the guy, I think he played Cody. I forget, I forget the actor's name, but he kind of played the dumb cousin that lived out of a van. Um, in Step by Step. He was actually the main star, and I think he played Frank Dukes's brother. Frank Dukes is the, the you know, the true story that Bloodsport takes around and, or, you know, is centered around or based upon um, that, uh, you know, that, that Jean-Claude Van Damme plays. But anyway, you know, the, the character Cody, the actor that played Cody, he... In this uh, You know He ends up taking The the center stage In the other films And the other films Aren't based on a true story Not to say that Bloodsport Is like This great representation Of the life of Frank Dukes Uh, But It is You know it's based on it And so, you know I don't really count the other films As far as, you know Bringing this up uh, But Bloodsport I think in so many ways There's so many things Done right with this movie uh, Of course it is about Again, the character Frank Dukes Who was in the Foreign Legion And he ends up leaving The Foreign Legion uh, Because his uh, Shidoshi, Shidoshi is dying uh, You know, kind of his master That he learned about it, You know, learned from as a kid uh, And and he ends up You know, going to represent His, his house You know, his Shidoshi's house uh, in uh, the Kumite, which is this, you know, kind of like Mortal Kombat before Mortal Kombat was even a thing. In fact, that's that's part of why I think this movie is so great. Is it really inspired so much of the greatness that we had in the '90s on a bunch of different media levels, on a bunch of different venues and genres? Uh, this is a re- you know, a lot of things were based on this film, uh, including Mortal Kombat and even I think really Street Fighter uh and, and some of these other things were just were totally based around this even you know you look at the character of Johnny Cage obviously based off of Jean-Claude Van Damme you know the the movie star you know that 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 can really kick ass and everything right uh so bloodsport is you know i mean but that, anyway that that's the basic if you don't know the plot of bloodsport i mean that's the basic thing you know Jean-Claude Van Damme is you know, he goes, he takes on all these fighters from around the world in this very secretive, uh, you know, uh, uh, combatant match, you know, this very secretive UFC called the Kumite, uh, all of which is largely real. Like, th- that's, that's the amazing thing with this movie, is that there's a lot of movies that talk about this sort of thing, about these, you know, secret fight clubs and all this different stuff. Um, but this is the one, this is the one that actually, like, like where, where there's some reality based around it. Uh, so that makes it very unique in that case as well. Uh, but everything about the production of this movie, the writing yeah, some parts of it are kind of cheesy. It's really cool to see Ogre outside of Revenge of the Nerds, which revenge—the Revenge of the Nerds movies—that's the, the actor that played Ogre. Uh, the Revenge of the Nerds movies would have would have absolutely been been in this um, would have been in this list. But they're all four of them are great, uh, so it's part of a series. so I didn't want to count them. I uh, you know, and 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 I think all four of them, you know, really like add something. So I didn't just want to pick out the one. But Revenge of the Nerds is one of the greatest movies of all time, no question there. But anyway, the character that played Ogre in the Revenge of the Nerds series is in, or the actor is in Bloodsport, uh, and he ends up playing Frank Dukes' friend, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme's character's friend. Uh, and then you have uh the uh, the amazing Bolo Young, who is just such a jacked dude. I think he was actually either like a Korean or Japanese bodybuilder, but he was a real bodybuilder. And, of course, he had done, he did some other movies uh, like TC 2000 with Billy Banks. That's a, that's a fantastic, uh, you know, little martial arts action thing. Uh, you know, the, all the acting in it, I think, is top-notch. In fact, even Jean-Claude Van Damme, he really, like... So it's not my favorite Van Damme movie. There's a movie called Black Eagle from like maybe two years before where Van Damme is actually playing, he plays a Russian, he plays a Soviet and he is, uh, he's the bad guy in the movie Uh, and it's really cool to, you know, to see him as the bad guy. Um, But he, you know, he really does, he delivers such, I I don't think he's a bad actor at all. I love Jean-Claude Van Damme's movies, like pretty much every one I really, really like. Uh, but he, you know, this is, this is kind of the prototype of a lot of the characters that he plays after the fact, and there's no reason to mess with success. I think Lionheart is a great movie. It's very much like Bloodsport, but so what? You know, like if you're going to, so here's the thing for me, if you're going to complain, and this is kind of a, this is sort of, I think a new realization perhaps for some people If you're going to say that The Force Awakens is a completely legitimate film, you know, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, if that is a completely legitimate film, just, you know, considering how much it copied A New Hope, but it's still legitimate, then honestly, I don't care how much Lionheart copied Bloodsport, it's a legitimate film, Kickboxer. I don't care how much Kickboxer copied, uh, you know, Bloodsport, it's, it's a great movie you know, so it remixed things a bit, you know, I I, I think that's okay, uh, and then, there, you know, there's The Quest, I mean, there's a lot of, The Quest was, I love that movie with Roger Moore, that's fantastic, that, that movie, you, you could do a whole analysis on that movie alone, because it's supposed to be, like, a lot of people don't realize a lot of the backstory around the movie The Quest with Roger Moore and, and Jean-Claude Van Damme, but damned great movie, no pun intended, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, so all you know, all of those films I think are awesome. I love Kickboxer. The whole Kickboxer series is pretty good. There ended up being more of those. Um, I think that I think Lionheart is a phenomenal movie, a great movie, almost better than Bloodsport, almost. But Bloodsport was really the prototype, uh, you know, for a lot of uh, Van Damme's movies. Uh, he is he's probably my favorite action star, even more so than you know Stallone or uh, you know or uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course. Uh, And, you know, and some of these other guys, Um, I really like, I think Carl Weathers is an awesome action star as well. That does not get enough credit uh, for how much he was delivering, especially as a black man, you know, in the eighties, you know, he was really going to toe to toe with the biggest actors out there. And even like Action Jackson, he did a great job in that for, unfortunately, Van Damme and Carl Weathers really never got to, got to meet up and get to do their thing. Carl Weathers, of course, now is in that, uh, that sci-fi show, uh, The Colony, right? I think it's called The Colony. Anyway, I haven't watched that yet, so I don't know. But I really don't need another show in my life as much as I love Carl Weathers. But anyway, Van Dam delivers the goods here. You know, it it is a lot of martial... I mean, there have been other martial arts films. You know, there's American Ninja. There's Best of the Best, which is an awesome series. You know, there's all this great stuff. But Bloodsport's like the one. It's like the perfect one. It's the prototype for all of these different films. And it really made them viable. Uh, The music in it that Paul Herzog... Uh, you know, scored. And also that Stan Bush, who Stan Bush is well known for doing a lot of the music from uh, the Transformers movie from 1985. He did, you know, the touch. You got the touch, right? Stan Bush, a lot of people don't know this. And I've talked about on Sovereign Tech before. In fact, I tried to actually hire him to do the credits music for my video game, Hypercronius, uh, because I really wanted him involved with it. But, uh, but Stan Bush is such a great artist If you are not listening to all of his albums Especially In This Life Which came out a few years ago uh, He's had other ones He came out The Ultimate last year Or 2014 now uh, Which was one of his best albums that he's ever made uh, But anyway, his work that he did On Bloodsport Was awesome On My Own Alone The song, the opening song uh, Kumite, Fight to Survive Fucking great music Pure, it, yes, it's 80's cheese But what is wrong with that? That's okay. And you know, this is the thing with like 80s and 90s cheese. It was really inspirational. It was aspirational to some degree too. So I think it can be appealing to some in that way. But it was very inspirational. So much of the message of the 80s and 90s was, you got this. And that's the message that so many people need to hear today. You got this. Look, I know things are shitty, but you got this, man. You can do this. Like, I, I love the cheesiness. I really do, I think it's, I think it's wonderful I, I get so tired of people getting pissed off about that you, fucking, you can go fucking have your Nirvana Okay, that, you know, Cobain ruined everything And offed himself in the end You know, because that's the ultimate message Or, in my opinion, I don't, I don't like the fact that somebody died But that is the ultimate end game message Of that depressing fucking music And the depressing fucking movies, you know, and all that Not that movies, you know, can't have a, you know, sad ending there, There's certainly something to be said for that but it's I think cheesiness is great. I think you know have, having that, that that larger than life stuff is really really cool. You know, uh, that, anyway, <laughs> I'm getting off the screen. Uh, but you know, overall, just Bloodsport is so good. Van Dam really brings his A game. Like when they when there's the moment where um, where Bolo Young, you know, his character, he tosses some some dust. In, Van, you know, in Frank Dukes' eyes and everything And just like the way that he's You know, remembering his uh, You know, his training and everything and, and how he, you know He recognizes, like, because he starts going around And he's like yelling, he's like, ah! You know, I mean, like, it's so intense And you really feel it And Paul Herzog's music You know, really, it's, it's so minimalist It's one of the first real minimalist score I know a lot of people want to talk about uh, Don Davis's like score for The Matrix Where it didn't have a whole lot of melody well, Stan Bush delivered the melody for Bloodsport, but Paul Herzog did a great job of bringing in a score that really didn't hit. There's a name for it. I can't think of what they call that musical style where there's like there's no actual melody where there wasn't a lot of points. There was no melody, but you totally get it like it. It brought poignancy to the moment. Uh, it's, it's really something if you can get your hands on the on the soundtrack um, for Bloodsport. In fact, I'll tell you what. Just for Patreon subscribers, if you want a copy of the Bloodsport soundtrack, you can message me. You can get in touch with me uh, if you can't find it yourself, and I will get you the MP3s. Okay, so there you go. You know, value for value, baby. I will hook you up uh, because it is—it's a short soundtrack. There's not much left to it. You know, it was just a little record. It had a very rare release, uh, but I'm—I'm I'm, you know really kind of kind of proud to have it, uh, and I just think it's—it's uh, it's so good. So anyway. Uh, Bloodsport, just a just a great movie. You know, there's there's really some 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 pretty interesting you know messages in it, and it's just it's good action. Uh, I I really and I love the way that Frank Dukes is just, you know saying fuck you to the government in whatever way. I mean, you know, there's a lot of that to it too. Uh, just the rebelliousness in general. Obviously, I wasn't an anarchist when I used to watch this movie as a kid. Um, I think some people might be maybe shocked that I enjoy you know a film of that nature. I mean, look, you know, I I. I have I've been taking Krav Maga for years, and I've been practicing Krav Maga for years and years and years. I am not against self defense. I am not against this sort of thing. Uh, I am against the use of lethal force, you know. And I can enjoy an action movie as much as anybody else. I mean, like, you know, I think some people might get shocked by that. There's nothing wrong with you know with enjoying that with with enjoying high drama. You know, that's that's really what it comes down to. And that's a part of it. Would I love it if there's a world where violence no longer gets used? It gets used. Absolutely. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about movies, you know, and just just having, you know, great art and uh, and presentation. Um, so anyway, Bloodsport, fantastic uh, movie, just one of the best movies out of the 80s overall. Uh, and it is, you know, I think it's really the progenitor to all of the martial arts films, I mean, yeah, Bruce Lee was doing it before, I know, you know, and, and Chuck Norris was doing it before to some degree, uh, you know, and you had, I mean, like Shokuzugi, I mean, like, I, I love watching a lot of, you know, like, classic Japanese ninja films, I think all of those, especially Shokuzugi, I mean, he, man's a god, uh, but, you know, this, this is what really took it over the top. You know and that 's how we ended up with the american samurais american ninja you know all, all these all these great uh, different movies and these you know long drawn out series. Uh, so, and I do recommend, you know, I think the other Bloodsport movies were pretty good, too. So, uh, y- you know, go for it. Uh, and I did, I mentioned Black Eagle. I think that's an awesome film. Like, not a lot of talking in that movie. And it's so rare to see Van Damme playing the villain outside of, you know, the latest Expendables movie or something. Uh, but it, it delivers. A great movie if you can get your hands on that. And make sure you get the extended director's cut of that, too. Uh anyway, okay, let let's get on to uh let's get on to another movie. We're how, how am I doing on time? <laughs> we're we're taking the time. Uh next one, Swordfish. This one might not come as much as a shock. This is definitely a I mean, it's an action thriller, you know, action crime thriller. Uh, but it is kind of a hacker movie. Granted, there's no actual hacking that goes on in it. Um, but or I mean there there is, you know, what what cinemagenic versions of hacking goes on but like you don't see anything legit which is true for largely any time that you see any any hacking on on the you know on the silver screen or even on the little uh you know the tv screen um so this is with Hugh Jackman John Travolta Halle Berry uh in fact Don Cheadle's in it too he wasn't as big a deal at the time when he made this uh, but uh, Dominic Senna directed it, did a great job uh, of, co- of course, uh, Joel Silver was a producer Joel Silver would become famous for, uh, you know uh, Well, he was already famous when he made this Because this movie came out in 2001 uh, But Joel Silver was famous for being the producer on the Matrix movies So he was able to get a lot of projects, you know, through through pretty quickly at this time Uh, Because this was also before, you know, 2003 when the other, when the Matrix sequels came out. So his name was gold and he was able to, you know, get out a lot of, a lot of different stuff. Um, Vinnie Jones is in this too, who's always just that great guy to just have on board with any little action movie you're having. (laughs) So, but uh, I I think this is a great movie. It's a very smart film. Uh, A lot of people remember it mainly because I think it was the first time that you got to see Halle Berry's tits. Man. Let's just be all honest, folks. They're nice. <laughs> Woo! Uh, you know, and she does a great job in this movie. John Travolta plays the villain. Uh, and he, even though... So, well, I'll, I'll get into that. But anyway, Hugh Jackman is this notorious hacker. Uh, he is getting asked. This is kind of the plot for it. He is getting asked uh, by John Travolta's character, who is, you've, you eventually find out, it is Black Ops. Um, and he is being hired to get access to this, you know, Billions and billions of dollars that had been, you know, kind of slush funded around through various uh, American black ops organizations. Um, and it is, it's, a, it's a really unique film. Uh, like, in fact, it kind of looks back on itself. Not not, not or it kind of looks at itself like the, the movie is, is kind of meta because it opens up with Travolta saying, you know, the problem with with a lot of, you know, a lot of movies today is that they're shit, pure you know, he, he like he goes down this whole thing and he's talking about how, well, you know, it's amazing that the, the resolutions which movies get made, it's like you could practically taste the brain matter, you know, he gets this little screed in the beginning, and he's really setting you up by making a commentary as a villain in a hostage situation in the movie, that's, that's the context of, of the opening, he's really setting you up to say this movie is not going to be like those, like he talks about Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, he talks about other movies where, you know, look, this is what happens, like what happens, you know, like he like, the example he goes, what if in Dog Day, you know, Sonny just says, you know, give it to me now, or, you know, give me what I want now, or the little blonde girl gets it, you know, and then he just, bam, he just shoots the little blonde girl, doesn't even wait, you know, doesn't even wait for them to meet his demands, and so the movie is all about this, you know, the, I, the premise of the film I think the gist of the film is that the villain is really going to be bad and he is not going to fall for any of your tropes. The villain is finally going to be much smarter. Any plans you think you have, he's going to be much smarter than the FBI. Of course, Don Cheadle heads them in this, uh, you know, or whoever. He is on top of things and largely it delivers on that. Here's, Here's the problem with the whole thing. Okay, not that Hugh Jackman isn't unbelievable as a hacker. I think all the acting's great. I think the direction's great. Uh, the music is is really really well done. Uh, uh, Christopher Young and Paul Oakenfold, you know, both deliver a lot of the music. Of course, Paul Oakenfold is very well known, and at the time he was doing all kinds of things, like he did the that that funny remix for uh, uh, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, which I enjoyed that. But anyway. Yes, I do understand the ending Unlike the rest of the people for Planet of the Apes But I won't share that with you now The 2001 Planet of the Apes movie If you want to know what the ending meant, I know I know for a fact what it meant uh, And I might have talked about it on Sovereign Tech before But you can ask me if you want me to talk about it Maybe I'll do it on a Q&A episode Uh, Anyway, all the music's great, but what happens here, the problem with the movie is I like, I like the idea of the movie to where, yes, finally the villain is going to win, and it's not like Empire Strikes Back, where in the next movie, you know, Darth Vader loses, in fact he dies, Uh, spoiler alert, Uh, but, uh, you know... But what happened, what you find out is, is that really John Travolta's character is actually still just kind of American black ops, just kind of working rogue, but they are still going after the terrorists. So after a fashion in conventional sense, not in an anarchist sense, but in a conventional sense, John Travolta's still a good guy. And so that kind of throws it off. And I'm like, well, that sucks. You know, it, it's just like, it's just like Payback, which is another movie I love by Mel Gibson, despite... Things Mel Gibson has said in the past. Um, you know, I gotta, gotta admit the guy, man, the guy is an artista, no no doubt. Uh but anyway, in payback, it's sort of the same thing. Yeah, Mel Gibson is the bad guy, but he's really just going after badder guys. And, and so going after bad, you know, guys that like wronged him in ways that everybody agrees is wrong, and so you're kind of rooting for Mel Gibson's character in payback. And so you sort of get the same thing with John Travolta in this to where, okay, well, he's going after terrorists. So, you know, this is, this is okay. Um, you know, so I, I understand why he was doing what he does and blah, blah, blah. So he wasn't really a bad guy. Uh, so finding that part out instead of him just going after the money and just wanting to be wealthy, you know, and hang out with, you know, have hookers and blow and play blackjack and whatever, which he does in the movie and he's driving an awesome TVR car as well, uh, You know, instead of it being that, they have to do that. And I'm just like, man, this movie would be so good if they just said, nope, he's being completely selfish, he's a hedonist bastard, and and he is doing this all for himself and for Halle Berry and whatever else. No, they gotta make it, like, in some way that somehow he's a good guy, or, you know, he's just a a bad good guy going after badder guys, and I hate that. That's the problem with, like, Suicide Squad, right? It's just bad guys going after badder guys, and it's like, that's not an appealing movie to me. I know... I can personally tell you, because, well, I'll give you a little hint here, um, you know, I can tell you that writing a story to where the bad guy is really the bad guy and doing really bad things, you know, having a villain-centric movie is so hard. It is so hard to do, uh, and and to not have, like, you know, the hero win at the end, you know what I mean? Um, I know a lot of people want to point to, like, Heath Ledger's Joker. Uh, first off, I don't think that that's the best Joker ever. I think Jack Nicholson is the best Joker ever. I like my Joker to be classy, not just just ridiculously insane. I, I, I like a, I like a good hint of class. Of course, Mark Hamill's a great Joker, too. I, I wouldn't take anything away from him, you know, from his work. But, you know, you still have Batman winning in the end. And it's like, well, you know, that's not really like the bad guy just being bad. I, I don't know. It, it doesn't deliver. Now, I know this is tough. And here's a hint, because Hyper, the, one of the original story treatments that I was doing for my video game, actually, Hypercronius that I mentioned earlier, which you can get now, by the way, if you haven't already, uh, just go to zog.ninja. Um But one of my original treatments was that Hypercronius was going to be, in the conventional sense, the bad guy. Uh you know now. Granted, after you know considering how he, so my characters in Hyperchronius are anarchists, so to you know in a in a world that loves the state, yeah, I, I say this in the in the beginning of many sovereign texts. In a world that loves the state, anarchists are super villains. Okay, so you know Hyperchronius, I was going to write him up as being this very you know kind of annoying and crass bad guy. Uh, I didn't go that route with it, but that was the idea. And the bad guy was going to win. And that by most people's metrics, this was the bad guy winning. Uh, you know, but I, what's amazing is, is that is really hard to do. That's not to say I won't do it again in the future. I won't try for it again in the future and I'll figure it out, but it is a tough as shit thing to do to really have the bad guy win, uh, all the way and have the heroes, you know, not win at all. Um, you know, some could say that the Terminator series is always about the bad guy eventually winning because it keeps coming back, but <laughs> but not really. So anyway, uh, Swordfish was a very was a you know great attempt at it. But overall, like the style of the movie was great. It was very sexy, uh, and it was about it was at the time a very rare film uh, about a hacker. That was a rare thing at one point. Uh, you didn't get that much outside of say War Games. Or let's move on to our next film, that being. Hackers! Now, Hackers holds a really, really special place in my heart uh, for a few reasons, but the the first one is that this this it, this movie came out in 1995, and it's all about you know kind of like it's it's a style film, it's a thriller, but you know it, it's a style film, kind of showing off this is what you know the young hip hackers of the 90s are like, which a lot of them weren't like that at all, <laughs> and certainly the hacking being portrayed all, with all this you know graphical interface and everything was ridiculous, like I mean there is there's almost no reality. Uh, in this movie There's some great stuff that gets mentioned You know, a lot of different uh, manifestos get mentioned um, there, there is some cool information But it is, a, it is a movie all about being cool And about making kind of, you know Really having computers sort of being cool and being sexy And so you can appreciate it for its style uh, You don't appreciate it for its portrayal of hackers whatsoever uh, Though I do think this is a movie that Well, I'll, I'll get to, to why I loved it so much Or, you know, why, why it holds a special place for me in a second This is a movie that I think actually created, it crafted a subculture instead of it portraying a subculture. Uh, And this happens sometimes with films. Often it can even happen with documentaries, which obviously hackers is the farthest thing from any kind of documentary. But, you know, you think of the great, uh, one of my favorite documentaries, uh, one that I could quote right and left. In fact, if I was doing top top eight documentaries, it'd probably be at number one. Um, That being Pumping Iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger that was a movie that really crafted like that, that set the template for, okay, if I want to be like this, I'm going to act like them. You know, I'm going to be like these bodybuilders. I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to listen to what they say, blah, 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 blah. So I think in a lot of ways, hackers really crafted, uh, you know, sort of the hacker culture, the cypherpunk culture and all that. Like it, it, it made it, it definitely made it hip and cool. And it, I think it inspired so much of what, you know, if you go to like, you know, if you go to Chaos Computer Club, uh, you know, and you go to DEF CON and all these different ones, when you go to these conferences or, you know, conventions and whatever, um, I think a lot of it was, you know, I think hackers inspired a lot of that. It wasn't the other way around. Um, So the reason that it it was so, uh, you know, that it holds a special place in my heart was because in 1995... I was a a 14-year-old stallion. I think this came out in, like, November 95. I I can't remember that exactly. But I was a very young stallion. And um, I... This was the first movie I got to see on my own. Where, you know, it was whatever night it was that my mother does her shopping and everything, I got dropped off at the mall. And I was finally able to go and see a movie completely on my own. Um, I had gone to the movies previous. I went, and, you know, I remember seeing The Mask. Uh, I saw Baby's Kids, The Rocketeer, all great movies, by the way. Uh, well, Baby's Kids is, well, that's a long story. <laughs> uh, but I can remember, you know, I, I went to theaters to see a bunch of movies. Ghostbusters 2, you know, I can remember all that stuff. Uh, but Hackers was the one where I went completely on my own. And I'll tell you, you know, as an avid moviegoer, which... I, you know I'm not as avid as I once was But I mean I used to like I was an avid moviegoer As in I had to go see a movie Every single weekend And if a shit If no good movies came out on a weekend I went and saw the good one That was already out again uh, And I, I still have all my tickets I was one of, You know I'm one of those guys uh, I have quite the history With all those ticket stubs So uh, <laughs> Some of them I marked with a little dot That meant that I While I was seeing the movie That woohoo Good times were being ahead But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, the tickets have kind of faded So you can't really see all that But, uh whew, we're hackers, right So this is the first one I got to see on my own um, After that, you know, I was so successful in doing so That my mother was like, oh, well, he can do these things on his own That's fine And so then I was able to see a whole bunch of movies on, on my own uh, I was even able to take my younger brothers to see, you know, movies uh, You know, I remember seeing Mortal Kombat in the same year on my own uh, Seeing Batman and Robin, which I actually enjoy that movie Thank you very much uh, and Batman Forever, best, you know, one of the best Batman movies ever next to the 66 Batman. Anyway, uh, so Hackers holds, a, holds a, a special place for me because of that, because it was it, it's really synonymous with my autonomy. And it really solidified, like, seeing this, you know, being that young and seeing the cool factor of computers, like, seeing it displayed in a cool way, as unrealistic as that was. Uh, definitely inspired me to really get involved and be a part of the cypherpunk movement. I mean, so in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of people, like I said, this movie was inspirational to a lot, of, a lot of hacker culture and to a lot of people that have, that ended up becoming hackers because they're like, oh yeah, this is cool. This is great. You know, and... Even though at, at that time, in 1995, that's not how things were, that's certainly how things ended up getting made, <laughs> you know, down the line. Uh, so a lot of people became interested in computers uh, because of this movie. This is a really, really key film. Um, there's never... And what's ironic, too, though, is even though, you know, like I said, there was, um, you know, you have Swordfish, or, you know, there's a big debate, actually. Was that movie called Operation Swordfish, or was it called Swordfish? Because... Well, depend on what you saw on the cover of the film or on the movie posters. Regardless, you have Swordfish. You know, there's been recent, uh, you know, blunders like Black Hat, terrible movie, uh, you know, and some others where, yeah, they they portrayed hacking. But it's it's still a very, very rarely touched on uh, culture or subculture and uh, a topic overall. You know, I mean, it gets used a lot as a topic. Like, you know, there's a great movie with uh, Harrison Ford called Firewall, which I I, I love that movie. Um, you know, that, that kind of get into the aspects of hacking and of course it, it's in the background, but like, it's never the centerpiece. It's so rarely the centerpiece of the story. Uh, it just doesn't happen often. And shockingly, it still doesn't. Um, so hackers is very rare in what it brings up As again, as, as bullshit as it is, what it delivers. It's, it, it really does something unique. Uh, also, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the soundtracks, there ended up being like, and obviously all this music was not in the film, but again, this is, this movie crafted a subculture. There were three releases for soundtracks for this movie. Uh, all three of them are gold. They are just dynamite si- soundtracks, you know, all electronic, you know, kind of acid house. Uh, some of it's, acid, you know, uh, techno, all, all the good shit. It is, it's great music. Just top-notch soundtracks Maybe the best soundtracks to come out of the 90s Next to all of the Mortal Kombat soundtracks And yes, there are a ton of Mortal Kombat soundtracks There's not Even though there's only a couple movies And the second one was (laughs) uh, Though the TV show Conquest was good um, You know, there there are a ton A ton of of Mortal Kombat soundtracks And all of them are are great Um, But anyway, the Hacker soundtracks Phenomenal Uh, You know, cannot recommend those enough Of course, Angelina Jolie's in it Uh, You get to see a nip of Angelina Jolie. Pardon me for sounding like such a such a pig. <laughs> you know, but it, it was a thing. I mean, and she it was rare for her like it was one of her breakout roles. I mean, she had been in Cyborg 2 previous, which was a sequel to the Van Damme movie Cyborg. We got a lot of inter- interweaving here, don't we? Um and she was great in that. Uh so, you know, and then of course she goes on to play Tomb Raider Tomb Raider, which I enjoy those movies. Uh, but uh yeah, I mean this was you know, Matthew Lillard started off in this. I think this was his first role before he went on to go do the screen movies and, of course, uh, the the phenomenal fucking film, science fiction though, Wing Commander. Love that movie, fucking love that movie. Uh, talk about a great score too. Holy shit, David Arnold, and Kevin Kiner they, they they they, man, they hit it home. Um, but so, Hackers, just this really cool film. Again, total bullshit there's no reality at the time there's no reality into it in it whatsoever and as far as hacking goes i mean you're still not seeing all these crazy like graphic interfaces that you get that get displayed again that's all cinemagenic. that's all to make it look good on camera um you don't get any of that you know in real life but t- today but so much of it did it it it's just it it's such an important film that's that's all i can say about it uh let's move on to another one uh yeah let's shift gears. <laughs> we're in the uh, What are we on? Number five. I I lost track of of where we are. I'll tell you when we're at number one. How about that? Uh, But this movie, I mean, total night and day between from hackers (laughs) and and much of everything else that we discussed. Ben-Hur. Now, not the new Ben-Hur movie. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, I'm not that excited to see it. I think it's fine that it exists. No problem there. I've heard some good things, some bad things. But the 1959 Ben-Hur Now it's important to bring up that this movie is in, of, is in and of itself a remake It's actually a remake a couple times over There had been previous versions of, uh, of, of Ben-Hur uh, And of course based on the, you know, the novel from Lou Wallace, 1880 Ben-Hur, a story of, of the Christ, right? I, I, or a tale of the Christ, I think that's the full title Well I've read the novel, the novel's actually pretty interesting Even if you're an atheist, uh, it's, a, it's a fair read And even if you're an atheist, it's a fucking movie you know, uh, this movie, this is, in, in some ways, the original epic. Uh, I mean, there, there are other movies before it, you know, Gone with the Wind and some others. I, I respect that and I appreciate that. And, of course, you have Metropolis. But, like, the great historical epic, the one that everybody remembers, the one that, that I think still holds up and just has such tremendous... <sighs> What's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say panache again. I already used that word once. But just has such great... Gusto and, and moxie and, and guile and I mean it just it has such there's such greatness to it. Um, I, most movies would have a hard time matching up I think. in fact, there are very few and there's only one that I can think of but I won't tell you what that is yet oh <laughs> well maybe there's two. Uh, you know in fact, a movie that might surprise people that isn't on this list is Braveheart look Braveheart's a great movie. I won't take anything away from that. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal film, just just wonderful. Uh, that is one of the movies that may have superseded in epicness the level of uh, of Ben Hur, uh, but not really. I, I, I don't th- I don't think it did because at the end of the day, as great as as Braveheart was, it's kind you know stylistically it's very simple. Uh, like there's not there's not any like really grand shots. I mean yeah, there's some shots with grand armies and all that, but there isn't any there isn't really any of that grandiose uh 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 places that you get to see in it and all that and, you know not cinematography that's not the word i want to use but just ge- geographically it's sort of a boring film not that there's anything wrong with scotland i'm not saying that i'm just saying that there's not a whole lot going for it um anyway ben hur charlton heston in my opinion the greatest actor of all time uh he just god damn it did he deliver in this <laughs> He, he was so good um, Obviously it appealed to me You know, like I said, I grew up Jewish And so like to see this Jewish prince of a character You know, being such a hero You don't get that often in a Christian Especially back then in a Christian culture Of course, I mean, yeah, I grew up in the 80s So it was a different time But I could imagine looking back That it was very, very difficult to find like a Jewish hero Even though eventually In some ways this ends up being A Christian film But very lightly, I think So, you know, you know the story of revenge, the, the the epic you know naval battles that happened in it all of it still really holds up really well and it still looks really good. Uh, of course, the classic chariot scene, which is just unmatched in cinema. I mean even George Lucas knew that that's why he you know copied it almost shot for shot in episode one with the pod racer sequence um, just phenomenal uh, you know and every you, you really you never see you know the golden age of Hollywood as they call it. You never really see, and maybe some people would say This doesn't qualify as that, I think it does But you never see it on such an epic scale In my opinion, as you do with Ben-Hur You know, the sets are huge And they're all physical, there's no, there's no computers <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah like, like ENIAC's out there Or something, but, you know there's, Everything is really Physical uh, You know, the shots are you, know, you have just tremendous You know, men and all this it, it's, it's so visceral, so real uh, and you feel it, and and not you know not to get into, into any kind of conventionalism, but it is it is also it is a manly fucking film. I mean, Charles Heston, Charlton Heston is, is, is you know, or Chuck Heston, as I like to call him, uh, you know, is is definitely you know if you're going to buy into this conventionalism, he is a man's man. You know, he is the real deal. He is totally legit. But then you know Jack Hawkins in it, you know, playing Masala uh you know playing his roman friend that he grew up with and that he ends up you know uh pretty much in in a you know a, a death grudge with uh, i i mean you know this, this vow of revenge is incredible i mean both of them just when they are what I, I i'm not you know people can be whatever they want i'm you know totally into gender equality obviously uh you know and 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 being aware of that sort of thing but i you know I'm just saying when when Chuck Heston, when, you know, when Judah Ben-Hur and Masala, the Roman, you know, when, when they're meeting each other as friends years later, you know, and and, and just that, that clasp of the... Uh, I, I love this in historical films. Not when they shake hands, when they shake forearms, because there's just a lot more trust, you know, involved in that. Uh, but when they shake forearms and then they hug each other, it's beautiful. I think men hugging is a wonderful thing. Uh and then when they, you know, when they do the classic spear throw, they, you know, just just standing there, they just grab whatever spear is hanging on the wall, and they do this little spear throwing competition. Oh man, <laughs> the spirit behind that is just is just phenomenal. You know, kind of that spirit of of, of belonging, brotherhood, and all in all of this. You know, I know it can be seen as very conventional, but I think it's fantastic. I, I think it's beautiful. Uh, so that that alone, you know, d- just, just, I think, delivers. Uh, so Ben-Hur, just an epic movie. The score is great. Everything you're seeing is great. The realization of it all is wonderful. Uh, you know, no other movie, there'll never be another movie like it. And, you know, there's, I, I mean, I'll give the people credit today for trying to remake Ben-Hur. I mean, you are trying to remake, you know, to some people, the greatest movie ever made. Uh, it's definitely on my top eight. You know, I mean, that, that takes a lot of guts To, to try and do that <laughs> And it may not end up being such a great ca- cash grab for them But um, whatever This movie's awesome You can still watch it today There's not a lot of classic films, I think, that hold up uh, Action-wise and acting-wise uh, You know, and, and look-wise today uh, but, but it does Ben-Hur just absolutely does from 1959 Just phenomenal um, So, yeah, Ben-Hur, there we go that, that's, that's another one uh, on the list uh, go figure there'd be one little Jewish film on <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's something else too Like, there's so little Christianity in the movie version of it And I think that's fine But, uh, you know, credit to, to Jesus And I have no idea who played the guy Who played Jesus in this But nobody nobody really does Other than it's on the, you know, it's on the, the cash sheet uh, Because you never see his face And that's really powerful Like, you never see his face that that That, that makes for something You know, when here's this guy that, like, even the Roman soldiers, like, he goes to give, uh, you know, Jesus goes to give Ben Hur some water, and you know what's going on. And, you know, just the Roman soldier comes over, you know, saying, what the hell are you doing? You know, saying that to to Jesus, and Jesus just stands up and, like, looks at him. and You know he's just looking at him, and, and the Roman soldier just goes, whoa, and just backs off very quietly and walks away. Like, that, I mean, talk about great direction. Talk about, you know, great cinematography. I mean, damn, that, that, that's, that's how you do it. You know, you, you express so much by not showing anything or by showing as little as possible. I love that kind of minimalist, you, you know, filming. That, that, that's, that's, that's great. One of the best scenes in movie history. Uh, you know, credit to Jesus. I'll give Jesus one, all right? Jesus, you got one. You did a good job in Ben-Hur. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. Uh, so let's get on to another movie here. So what do we have so far? Uh, we, had, we had Bloodsport, Devil's Advocate, Swordfish, Ben-Hur, Hackers All right, let's do another classic movie uh, in, in my top eight here And then how are we doing on time? Oh, fuck, we're over an hour <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll wrap this up quick uh, This is one I think that will surprise This is one that's just going to come out of total left field uh, Because this is actually a musical, uh, effectively And it's from 1954, so it's the oldest movie on the list uh, Beats out Ben-Hur even And it's Seven Brides for Seven Brothers This movie This is a very rebellious film Okay Uh, I'm not one for marriage You know, whatever I mean, and it deals with The movie takes place in uh, Like in, in Oregon I think in the 1850s Okay and has to do with kind of mountain men and all this, you know, in these kind of frontier towns and everything. So that's kind of attractive in and of itself, right? Like that—that's enjoyable. I mean, the you know the effects, the sets—you can tell when there's matte paintings and all that, and that—that that, that's fine. It doesn't take anything away from it. Uh, and the, so, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, like I said, it's, it's about this whole mountain man thing. And what's amazing that that, that comes out of it? There's, there's all these various songs. Uh, I think Stanley Donnan uh, wrote it And uh, this was Saul Chaplin, Gene DePaul Who ended up becoming very, very a very big deal In the musical scene uh, after the fact um, But what's amazing about this movie Is that it did not receive a lot of critical acclaim It was not uh, that popular or, or it wasn't like Like people weren't, you know, saying Wow, box office success this is going to be huge What a wonderful movie All the, you know, the music is fantastic in it Because, you know, it's a musical it, That's the centerpiece of it but it ended up being that movie that people just, it was, in a lot of ways, I think it was the first film that I know of that w- w- became popular by, from the populace and from word of mouth. That the, you know, the, the Hollywood, uh, you know, the establishment didn't say it was a great movie. The critics didn't say it was a great movie. You know, it, was, it, it had kind of a smaller release, but people just loved that movie so goddamn much. That, you know, it ended up becoming a a massive hit Uh, and it's still taught in film classes today. It was taught in one that I, uh, or actually it was taught in one that my sister. And so I would write her reports because, you know, I'm a fair writer. And (laughs) when I was a kid and she'd pay me, it was great. Uh, And, uh, you know, and I, so I had to watch the movie and I watched it. I was like, this is awesome. What a what a fun little film this is, you know. I mean, even as a as a young teenager, I thought it was really it was really great, and I could appreciate these kind of movies back then. You know, sort of the musicals like uh, The Happiest Millionaire. I think that's a fantastic uh, little Disney mu- uh, musical with uh, Fred McMurray, not Freddie Mercury, Fred McMurray, um, the late Fred McMurray. Uh, or you know uh, something that's not necessarily a musical, but uh, you know, Swiss Family Robinson, the the live action movie. I love that. So I can appreciate I could appreciate older films as a, as a kid. Uh, and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was just so damn good. Uh, they, like, the music is is really catchy. I can see why it was a word-of-mouth film, because you would just go around whistling these songs. Uh, they're so good. And, and sort of, you know, the overall... I mean, it, it's kind of a... You know, you could say it's kind of a sexist film, because it's about these, you know, seven brothers, these mountain men brothers. One of them gets married, and then... They want to find, you know, wives. The rest of them want a wife. And so they go into a town and they actually end up kidnapping them. And there's this classic song about the, the Sabine women from, you know, from Plutarch's histories. Uh, but he calls them the Sobbin' women. <laughs> you know, they do this whole thing. Those women were sobbing, 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 fit to be tied. Every muscle was throbbing, throbbing. I mean, it's just this classic little song. Uh, and it's very, it's very funny. I mean, it, yes, it's sexist. I know. Okay, but it, it's, it's just a fun film. Uh, and kind of the whole mountain man thing, I've always had kind of a strange attraction uh, to the, you know, the life of the mountain man, kind of the individualist. I mean, there's definitely a real, real individualist fervor, you know, to that. Uh, and it probably probably didn't hurt that when I saw it, you know, I was recently moving away. I mean, when growing up, I moved back and forth from New York City to upstate New York, which upstate New York is all farmland minus, you know, the few cities like Buffalo, Syracuse, Utica and, uh, uh, you know, Rochester, Albany and all that. You know, minus those, it's all farmland. So I think there was an appeal to that to me as well. You know, that this was mountain men living out in the country and all this shit. Uh, yeah, I just, I think it's a fantastic little film. It's, in my opinion, the greatest musical ever made. And there's some damn good musicals out there. But uh, but this one takes the cake. And it's just, it's just fun. And it's so over the top and ridiculous. And there's these great, like they got these, this is the other thing with the movie too. The actors they got to be in it were so talented. And there's no stuntmen. These were like some of the shit that you see them do, like in various competitions in this little frontier town that when, when the story takes place in that, like these guys, they don't just act, they sing, they are acrobats, they are stuntmen, like these guys can do everything in this movie, these seven, br- it is, it's amazing to see that. And that's something that we, we get impressed by today because it's so rare But back, you know, back in the golden age of Hollywood, as they call it, you really had to have it all. You know, like, even even female actresses, they had to be able to sing. They had to be able to, you know, like, they had to be able to act. They had to do all this different stuff, you know, and you had to be your own stuntman. I mean, like, you really had to deliver the goods. You know, we're talking about the classic days of Errol Flynn, which none of his movies made this list, but they could have. Uh, Captain Blood, phenomenal. You know, uh, the, the original, you know, Robin Hood. Fucking phenomenal movie. Watch that countless times. Uh, Errol Flynn, you know, talk about you know. We're talking about men's men like uh, Chuck Heston. Errol Flynn was was the legit deal. What a badass he was, man. Uh, so anyway, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. You really get to see like what it's what it's like you know to, to see Renaissance men in action in a very real sense. Of course, in 1850s Oregon. <laughs> but uh, but just a, just a fun fun movie. I, I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, all right, let, let's move on from that let, We got two more All right, we're going to do two more uh, Here is here's a movie that This won't be number one This will be number two And actually I wouldn't mind If it were, uh, you know If overall it was the uh, You know, was my Like my number two ranked movie I've watched this movie Over and over again This is another one of those films That I definitely fell asleep, fell asleep to at night Kind of like I mentioned With The Devil's Advocate uh, And it's from the same time frame 1995 Uh, And it's First Night Is the name of it And this has to do with Arthurian You know Arthurian legends You know King Arthur And of course King Arthur And this is played by None other than Sean Connery Delivering Probably his best performance Since Highlander Which the Highlander movies Fucking great Uh, And First Night And also Of course it has um, uh, You know Richard Gere Is in it playing Lancelot Does a phenomenal job uh, and Julie Armand is in it, playing Guenevere. Uh, man, stylistically, so the great things about this movie: uh, the score is is good for one. Uh, actually, the, the score is phenomenal, done by the, the late great Jerry Goldsmith, who is a, just up the, right up there with John Williams. I mean, as far as the greatest uh, you, you know uh, musicians, you know, scores, film scores of all time. I mean, he, he you know composers. He's just he's fantastic. Uh, Anyway, so the music's great The look of the movie It's not a big budget film You do not get gigantic, you know, uh, battle scenes I mean, you get some And they do very well with what they have There's a beautiful shot Camelot looks amazing But this is where it really wins out in a lot of ways And and I have more to say on it too But the style of the film The way that they portray uh, The, you know, the Camelot And the Arthurian legend overall I just thought looked so cool Like they have these great, you know, kind of blue tunics with this really awesome, like this, this side, I mean, it's impractical after, you know, after a fashion, but like they have like these little shields on their shoulders, you know, like these silver shields and and just, you know, you don't get into the round table so much. There is a round table. You don't get into the Excalibur legend whatsoever. I do enjoy the movie Excalibur as well, by the way, the classic from 1981, just, just awesome. Um, But this movie was, you know, it's more or less, you know, it's a, it's a romantic it's a, rom- it's a romance film set in medieval times. There's nothing, nothing magical in it whatsoever. Uh, you know, it doesn't. Merlin is not in the movie, uh, but it was definitely what inspired me to really get into, you know, like the entire story of King Arthur. I am a, I am a dilettante in Arthurian uh, research. I, I mean, I, I take it very seriously. Uh, I, I dig deep. So that's something I, I don't know if I've ever really talked about on Sovereign Tech before, but it is a, definitely a hobby of mine. Uh, you know, really, really digging deep into Arthur, Arthurian legend and, and what's the reality around that. And I think there is a lot of reality around it, but that's that's another subject for another time. You can ask me to talk about it. Maybe I'd talk about it on a Q and a uh, But, I mean, damn, like this... So, you know, you, there's a lot of what people think of when they think of King Arthur that isn't in this, but just the style that they deliver and the action and... and uh, Richard Gere does a great job, uh, you know, being Lancelot and just kind of, you know, the love story and the betrayal and like even the sword fighting. Like there's there's a lot of there's actually a lot of philosophy in in this movie in First Night. Uh, There's some great quotes to grab from it, too, uh, including by, uh, you know, by by King Arthur himself. uh, Something like like one of my favorite quotes in it is whoever said that beyond Camelot lives lesser men. Like this idea that just because somebody doesn't live within a certain country, that they are somehow replete of rights, like they don't have, or that they don't have rights or that they don't have human liberties and all that stuff. I mean, there's great, great shit like that. And the action sequences, as small scale as they are, they do a good job of working with what they have and making them seem much larger, uh, but they're very intense. They're very personal. And, and I, and I think, I think they work, uh, you know, the, the, battle sequences and the, yeah, it. It's just—it's a very sexy movie, and there's a point where Guinevere and Lancelot, you know, Julie Armand, who she looks, she looks amazing in this movie. Oh, uh, and and of course Richard Gere's Lancelot. You know, they're 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 out in the woods and everything, and it's very sexy what the, what the, what they pull off. Like you know, they're kind of like they're drinking, they're having what they what do they call those uh, water tacos where you know you use a plant to drink the rainwater and everything. Right? They don't call it that in the movie. Obviously, that's just, that's a survival term for them. Uh, and, and that's really hot there, There's just It has such a great look to the movie I love it I think it's a very sexy film Great romance film And I don't mind romance movies You know, I mean, like even Even, you know, romantic uh, comedies As they call them uh, Like, I love the movie Love Actually I think Love Actually is a is a great fucking uh, romance It's supposed to be the ultimate romantic comedy, right? Well, I think it kind of delivered I thought it was great So, uh yeah I'm totally on, on board with romance films And even romance books I re, I've read them here and there I, I can get down with that Hell, I used to watch soap operas When I was a, when I was a k- teenager and a kid <laughs> I, and, I, and I know I'm not the only one I've had uh, In fact, I've even called myself On Sovereign Tech in the past I called myself the Stefano Demiro of Liberty A great listener A guy I just love He actually caught it He's like, oh, I know what you're talking about This is Days of Our Lives shit, right? Anyway, yeah So I, I, I can appreciate that all that But anyway, first night Really good. The acting is, is tremendous. The action comes off very legit. The love story is 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 just high drama, and and they they do a great job for such the the film is far better than I think it was ever meant to be, than it was ever planned to be. And Jerry Goldsmith's score is roof. I, I mean, one of his best, and that's saying something. That's hard, <laughs> you know, for Jerry Goldsmith to ever top himself. That that's a challenge. So anyway, all right, first night, there we go. Let's do, let's do the last, the the last number one we saved, the absolute best uh, for last. Let's get into it. This is another uh, historical film, Gladiator, that Gladiator, Ridley Scott's Gladiator. Ridley Scott, of course, being one of my, you know, this film's from uh, 2000. Ridley Scott being one of my favorite actors, definitely in my top three, right up there with uh, uh, Russ Meyer and... Uh, You know, Paul W.S. Anderson, of course, of the Resident Evil movies. Uh, Ridley Scott is right underneath, right, firmly in that number three spot, though Russ Meyer is firmly in number one. Um, So Gladiator, which, you know, speaking of Russ Meyer, any of his movies could have been in here. Faster Pussycat, you know, all of those could have been in my top eight. I I love the guy, but (laughs) anyway, uh, Gladiator, that came out in 2000. Now, like I said with Ben-Hur, when I was talking about Ben-Hur, how there really hasn 't been a movie that has matched in my opinion its scale and it's you know in level of grandiose and also uh, you know the acting and, and the music and everything just coming to this level of perfection. Gladiator is the one that bests it. Gladiator is the one that really actually really brought back the the epic film, uh, I think because after Gladiator came out, then everybody started coming out with you know Oliver Stone did Alexander the Great. Uh, You had Kingdom of Heaven, which Kingdom of Heaven is a fine movie as long as you watch the director's cut. It's actually really good. Uh, You know, a lot of these movies, Gladiator, you know, reinvigorated Sword and Sandal in a very real sense. Gladiator and 300, which 300 also could have made this list, but it didn't. I I love the movie 300. Uh, Despite the fact that it's historical nonsense (laughs) Like really, because the Persians were not necessarily the enemies Not to say that I want to buy into that paradigm But anyway, Gladiator, you know, here is the Roman epic back again And Ridley Scott just delivered in spades Uh, Gladiator is the reason that I bought a DVD player Because for a little while uh, This would have been, you know, around 1999, 2000, 2001 In that time frame uh, you know, VHS was still a very big deal, uh, and Gladiator came out on DVD months before it came out on VHS. And I mean months, like there was a six month spread between when that came out on DVD and when, uh, you know, and when it came out on VHS. So I was like, well, fuck this. I'm not going to wait. And, uh, actually the, my girlfriend at the time, uh, one of my girlfriends at the time, at the time I was dating two women, uh, but she, she, this was her favorite movie. And I, I shared that experience with her. Like, I thought it was a great goddamn movie. Uh, like, at the end, you know, it says, who will help me carry him? You know, you have the character of, uh, you know, Maximus Decimus Meridius, played by Russell Crowe, which this really put Russell Crowe on the map. Because before, I mean, what was Russell Crowe doing before? He did Virtuosity, you know, from what was that, 95? A great movie with, with Denzel Washington. But nobody was billing it as a Russell Crowe movie. They were billing it as a Denzel Washington movie you know, with virtuosity. Uh, uh, great, again, no, great movie. But I, so I knew him from that and I thought he was, he was fantastic in virtuosity. Uh, so to see, you know, to see Gladiator, I was already going to go see it just to see more Russell Crowe because it was a rare thing at the time. But damn, did he deliver. That was so, so good. Uh, I mean, everything about it, you know, the guy that per- portrayed um, Marcus Aurelius was great. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, was it Joaquin Phoenix? Joaquin, no, wait. Who the hell Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix Yeah, you know Playing uh, playing the son Of Marcus Aurelius Playing Commodus uh, Was was great And like I mentioned earlier I, I I said we would Revisit Connie Nielsen In this list Who was in The Devil's Advocate Playing the Devil's Daughter Connie Nielsen Was in this Playing the Emperor's You know, the Emperor's Daughter And she did so, so well uh, what, what You know, I know it's cliche But what poison grace That she delivered in this movie Um and I, yeah, I mean, like I said, this put Russell Crowe on the map. And Gladiator, there, there's so much in it that you know the action's intense, the reasons for everything, the story is perfect, uh, you know. And it's based somewhat around real history, you know, around Commodus and what happened with Marcus Aurelius. Uh, you know, you get some of that, but and you know, just the presentation was huge. Hans Zimmer, his score, along with working with Lisa Gerrard, which would be a partnership that they would revisit over and over again. Uh, which Lisa Gerard's discography, you know, she does the whole, oh, 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 you know, all that is actually really great if you ever get your hands on that. Um, but, but yeah, Hans Zimmer's score, you know, when you listen to the battle, I remember I would hop in my, at the time I bought an ACR edition uh, 98 Dodge Neon. I've talked about it before on Sovereign Tech. Um, I would put in, because I, I put in, you know, really high-end sound system in that, you know, I had my JBL-12s, the whole thing. Um, I, you know, I would play the soundtrack for Gladiator, uh, and there was a specific track called "The Battle," and you'd go in seven minutes. It was like a ten-minute track, and you'd go in seven minutes, and then they'd have that. I would drive down the street listening to that because it was so fucking good. <laughs> you know, like that was that was so like intense. And you just yeah, you just felt it. You know, you got the goosebumps going when you'd hear that soundtrack. Oh man, uh, yeah. So you know, all all of that's great. Uh, the idea of you know, sort of the message of it of getting away from imperialism. You can say that that's a good thing too. Uh, but, you know, just the just this guy, you know, kind of going after revenge and, and just Russell Crowe's delivery and, and getting through it. I mean, and, and some of the quotes from the film. Whew, what a movie. Uh, and that movie, that's a movie that is still inspiring. I mean, that that might be kind of like the last great of the 90s. And it really ushered in all of entertainment that we have today. Uh, I think it inspired UFC. Uh, it inspi- I mean, really, it inspired reality. I think it inspired UFC. It inspired... There would be no 300 if, if there wasn't a Gladiator. I guarantee you that, even though 300 was based off of a Frank Miller comic book. Um, there, you know, you wouldn't have... You, we sure as hell wouldn't have had Spartacus, you know, Blood and Sand, which is one of the best shows in history. And if we didn't have Spartacus, I don't know what the fuck I'd do. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> damn (laughs) you know I mean Gladiator was has really it really changed and it put Ridley Scott certainly back on the map not that he needed it I think he still makes great movies uh yes I I I enjoyed Prometheus I liked Exodus Gods and Kings um so yeah Gladiator just just had it all had it all going for it the style was fantastic it really I think more so than any other film ever fully realized what you could, you know, what you could picture Rome being like. He took some, I mean, he took some creative license with some things, and he talks about that. When you listen to the director's commentary on the DVD, uh, which I listened to that over and over again because, again, at the time DVDs were a new thing when this came out, and all these different features were really something. Uh, you know, to listen to a director's commentary was just far out. But he talk about how, well, you know, how they they lit the flaming arrows. At the beginning, you know the Romans we, we, they never did that, they never dug pits with oil to dip the, you know to dip everything in uh, and you know and Ridley Scott you know famously said to the guy and he says it in the commentary he says, "Well, how do you know were you there?" you know <laughs> and so he did it anyway, and good for him because it's it's such a such a great movie uh, and Ridley Scott, I think really, even though I think everything he does he does is, is generally or most of what he does is really good, uh, I think he needed that great film again, you know after Alien and Blade Runner. Uh, You know, to show people No, I'm still, you know, I still got it going on I'm still the man And Gladiator delivered Uh, You know, it is a perfect film, I think There is nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong With that film Uh, And, you know, and and this is the other thing too The DVD, you know, there's something to be said for this The importance of this movie Because put it into the context of its time The DVD in 2000 When that came out uh, Because this movie came That movie came out in May of 2000, I believe Um, when that came out later that year, you know, like they went all out as far as presentation on what you could do with the DVD. And this is something that is just so lacking. It is so, so lacking today, uh, to where, you know, like on a Blu-ray or, you know, on the home video release that there isn't a whole lot of style put into it. There is so much style when you get the original, you know, signature director's edition DVD of Gladiator. Uh, There was even an Easter egg where there was a point in the menus where there would be a picture because they would play some of, you know, Hans Zimmer's and Lisa Gerrard's music during it, which was great. Uh, But there was a point where there was a picture through some of the menus and there was a lot of extra features on this. Deleted scenes, the whole thing, like where there was lions eating the Christians and all that. Um, Where it was a picture of of Marcus Aurelius and you could move, you know, on your DVD remote, you could move the remote, you could press up on the remote and it would go to... Uh, to like the breastplate on on Marcus Aurelius, and you could hit enter, and then suddenly, like it would actually, it showed a gladiator-inspired trailer for the movie Chicken Run, <laughs> you know, the, the classic uh, you know claymation movie, uh, another enjoyable little film. But <laughs> but it was but I mean that like that was unheard of at the time, you know, for there to be Easter eggs for there to for you to like have to find things. Like that, that made movies great. Some movies that made great in and of themselves, because then suddenly, when you got the DVD of the film, yes, you wanted to buy the DVD because you wanted to find, you know, the, these Easter eggs. Like uh, th- probably the greatest DVD release of all time was uh, the, the multi-disc Terminator Two is the Ultimate Edition, and in that there was also there was a, I mean there was so much shit in that that that's a DVD worth holding onto for all time. But in that there was. Um, There was, you could on the, the, the exoskeleton, okay. Of one of the, one of the T-800s in the menu, you could choose like, like, I think you went off to like, off to the side to one of the ears or something. And then this, this little menu would come over and you could enter a date and you're like, what the fuck is this? But if you entered that with your remote on the DVD, if you entered the date for, um, you know, for judgment day, you know, August and you know, all that then you would get a third edition of the film with deleted scenes put in and a new ending and all that. That was amazing. Like, I mean, that made home video so fucking viable. And every time I hear the, you know, the MPAA or whoever bitch and moan about, you know, that they're losing money because of piracy and all that stuff, believe me, nobody was pirating at that time those DVDs. They wanted those DVDs. You just got to put in the effort to make these things great and people will buy them. Because, I mean, also, like, just the presentation of the box art itself looked phenomenal. You know, that's what you got to do. People will spend the money. Just make it that fucking good. Make every home video a Criterion Collection release, kind of like they did recently with Fantastic Planet, an awesome movie, uh, animated movie, you know, French from, though you can watch it in English, you know, from way back. I mean, you know, release stuff like that, and people will pay. You know, or at least they'll respect it, and, and you know, they'll do the word of mouth to where the people that will pay will hear about it. Oh, man Yeah, Gladiator Phenomenal Every every inch of that movie is great From how it's been released You know, from, from even outside of the theater Out of its theatrical run It's just been great uh, So the number one movie Just very inspiring Very, you know, very, very tough Very full realization uh, CGI was used very judiciously You know, it was used well in the movie uh, To show off, uh, you know, ancient Rome And you just finally got to see all that fully realized You saw history in a very, very visceral sense Uh, So I I, I put it at my number one, uh, my number one spot on this list. Uh, You know, if I could include science fiction movies, it's not number one. But as far as this list goes, it's number one. Uh, Now, I'm going to make mention. uh, Just I want to do a couple of honorable mentions. Actually, I want to mention a couple of things. Well, one honorable mention I want to make is the Andromeda Strain from the 70s. Uh, Robert Wise, who of course went on To direct uh, Star Trek Motion Picture Which is my, you know, at the end of the day My absolute favorite movie uh, The Andromeda Strain from 71 Awesome little movie, all about like This town and potentially, you know, this virus Getting spread and, and how do you go Through like solving this and keeping this virus From, uh, you know, g- getting anywhere Else, And yeah, I, I don't want to give anything Away if you've never seen The Andromeda Strain You've got to watch the original one It is a well thought out it is a well, I mean, you might consider it boring, but I don't think so. It's just, it's so shot by shot, you know, it's so methodical. I love it. I, I, I love how methodical the film is. Uh, and, and there's points where when intense things start happening, because the movie has been kind of slow, kind of paced and methodical, things get intense. Uh, so great movie with the Andromeda strain. I, I definitely wanted to mention that. But some people kind of, they, they sort of chalk that up as a science fiction film. So I, I didn't want to. I didn't really want to include it here uh, in that. But but I don't think it's science fiction. I think it, largely it's, it's totally legit and just a just an amazing presentation overall. Um, the other one I want to mention would be the only recent one, and I have a comment to make on uh, on this overall. Uh, but um, Limitless from uh, God. What was this from two thousand nine? Limitless is a movie, of course, it starred uh, uh, Bradley Cooper, and it's kind of, now not Limitless, a TV series, that's a joke, there's no reason that that should ever get made, Uh, it's pure crap, I'm glad at least that it was kind of a sequel and Bradley Cooper still sort of appeared in it, at least they weren't rehashing in this case, because you didn't need to expand on the story at all, in my opinion, Uh, and also, well, okay, so Limitless, you know, it's a Neil Berger film Which Neil Berger, any of Neil Berger's films could have made You know, The Illusionist, all that They could have made uh, My List easy as well If I went into top 20 film 20, Top 20 Neil Berger's movies would have started showing up uh, Even more so But, you know, Robert De Niro, Bradley Cooper, all that um, And it's based on there, There's a book called The Dark Fields by Alan Glynn It's based on that uh, it Actually, I think this was 2011 It wasn't 2009 This was, uh, this was made in 2011 um, but it's about this drug called NZT, and it's about this guy played by Bradley Cooper who ends up getting access to this drug. And this drug, like, it, it, it's based on kind of the false science, sort of like Lucy promoted, uh, which is, you know, you know where you only use 10% of your brain, NZT lets you use the other 100%. Um, I have watched this movie over and over again. It is so well done. It is so good. Uh, and, you know, and it's about him him dealing with taking NZT and running out and taking it and blah, 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 you know, all that. Um, But it's not necessarily like a drug addict film of any kind because that's just not really my bag. Um, So this is, you know, this guy, you know, becomes super smart, starts getting into stocks and all this different thing. And, you know, it's it's really great. And that's, that's with the TV series, I'll tell you, that's what took me off about the TV series. Somebody takes NZT, they're using 100% of their brain. They can figure all the shit out. And yet they're going to work with the FBI because that was the point of the TV series is that this guy that takes NZT ends up working for the FBI. I mean, it's ridiculous. It really kind of sullied uh, the, you know, I think the movie, even though the movie's ridiculous in that at the end, Bradley Cooper, you know, goes and runs for, runs for office. But, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, uh, great music. Paul Leonard Morgan does a good job. They also bring in some Ash Williams, uh, you know, some of his style uh, to, to, you know, some of the more... Traditional songs in it as compared to the score Uh, uh, It's the only modern film that I thought was You know, film in the past Maybe 15 years that I would put into any kind of top 10 Uh, And I think there's something to this You know, now Neil Berger's examples I mean, he's he's kind of a unique A unique character, uh, I'll say As far as you know, his movies kind of stand above. They, they, they're, they're unique uh, in, in, in their stance. Um, and I, I want to I mention something to you because you may be wondering why a lot of, you know, more modern films haven't made this list. I think we've largely lost something. Um, and, I, you know, in, and I don't think some people will say, well, you know, everything you learn to love as a teenager or as a kid that's what sticks with you for all time And everything after you're a teenager sucks I don't buy that I really don't buy that In fact, I'm gonna, I want to read you a quote I'm not going to tell you where this quote comes from But I'm going to read you this quote Because I think it's, I think it, it, it's, it's pertinent Appertenant. I like using that word better It's appertenant to what we're talking about here Quote It could be that our smartphone distractions And Kardashian celebrity culture Have slowly but steadily lowered our critical standards The aesthetic version of inflation The critics might like certain films and books today because they're surrounded by such a vast wasteland of mediocrity. But if you had released them 15 years ago, they would have paled besides the masterpieces of that era. And I think there's something to this. I think the reason there's so many remakes, and I'm not saying I'm necessarily against remakes. They, you know, if you're bringing something new to the table or if it's a movie, perhaps, that really needed, you know, a lot more expounded upon, do it. Please go for it I am, I am 100% on board Okay uh, Or if you're going to do it In a respectful way Like the The Kelvin timeline Star Trek movies have You know To where you still admit That the prime timeline exists Awesome Go for it Okay I think that's great um, But I think the, I really think We are in an era Of mediocre films Not all of them There's some that are still great You know Ninja Turtles was pretty good You know I mean I've talked about some good films that I've seen here and there There's been some others you know but largely they've been genre films you know or science fiction films You know the Europa Report and, and stuff like this But yeah there's something's not right because a lot of the stuff coming out is just shit And while TV might be experiencing some kind of a golden age But that's because of the amount of time they get to spend on telling stories I think there's a lost art in film going on right now. I think we are in a dearth of great movies. I I really do. Uh, And I don't know if we're ever going to recapture it. The only way we're going to recapture it is if we recapture maybe the way that, like the, the backgrounds, the histories, the lives that a lot of the great directors of the past lived to where things were, you know, I keep using the word, but things were very visceral. Things were very real. You know, when everything can just show up on a smartphone screen... In some ways it's great that it can make your your creativity come to life But I think there is a reverse action Or there, there there's a I think there's a negative action that occurs also to where it kills creativity Because you don't have to be creative in bringing your creativity to life And so you don't get that double dose of creativity Does that make sense? I think we've lost something um, So Anyway, that that's Limitless. I br- I bring that up. It's kind of science fiction with N Z T and all that. So I, I didn't really want to include it in the list. But that is like the only modern film that I'd put in, I, you know, or film from the past fifteen years that would have made a movie that isn't, um, you know, that that isn't science fiction. There's been some great science fiction, no question there. But also a lot of that's been based off of books that already existed. Uh, Limitless was as well, I guess. So, but the the movie is kind of different from Dark Fields. So anyway, there you have it. I, I, I think I'm, I'm done. I've probably been talking far longer. Yep, an hour and a half. Go figure. I, I just, I can't do an hour. <laughs> I can't do a half hour. I just keep running my mouth. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed the top eight. You are welcome to, on this sound, if patrons, if you want to share your top eight, uh, you are welcome to do so on, right, right on Patreon. And you guys, you know, have a conversation about it or tell me if you disagree or if there's something that you think should have been on this list. Definitely let me know that. If there's a great movie I missed, that you think is just phenomenal, you let me know because I am dying to see a great movie. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the Jungle Book. I haven't I haven't seen the Jungle the newest Jungle Book yet. Maybe that should have made this list. Maybe that's one of them. Um, but. Anyway, I haven't, you know, but that's kind of fantastical, you know, talking animals and all that. So, but let me know, you know, what you think maybe your top eight should have been. And maybe I'll, I'll briefly cover it on a QA and a or in another Patreon episode. So anyway, Carpe lucem, everybody. Uh, of course, a, a Sex and Science Hour will be out tomorrow because uh, this is getting released on a Thursday. Actually, Thursday, August 25th, 2016. So you have a Sex and Science Hour tomorrow. And then... You'll have a brand new Sovereign Tech come Saturday. And I've got a doozy of an episode. We've got some amazing developments to talk about. And I mean fucking amazing. Uh, And I'll I'll let the cat out of the bag right now. It has to do with mushrooms. Ooh, it's not what you think. Because the Golden Stallion doesn't rock like that. But that's okay if you do. Anyway, Carpe Lucem. I'll see you on the other side. just experienced sovereign tech go to sovereigntech.com that's s o v r y n tech.com and connect with us there find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed sovereign tech is copy heart copying art is an act of love and love is not subject to law so please share the show however you like welcome To be evolution...